Welcome again to the Security Trends Podcast, supported by Obscure Technologies and Trend Micro. My name's Cameron Losco, a business unit manager here at Obscure Technologies. We are a value-added distributor here in South Africa. I'm joined by Manny Zingatis from uh, from Trend Micro. He is a technical lead, uh, as well as Brenton Swanepoel, also a technical lead here at Obscure Technologies. We're going to be covering part two of our four-part series, um, which is uh, concerning the Trend Micro Media Security Roundup Report. In our last part, podcast, we spoke about ransomware. In this podcast, we're going to be discussing exploiting vulnerabilities. And then in future podcasts, it will be threats related to uh, COVID-19, um, as well as cloud threats in our final insertion. All right. With that, um, I was going through the report, Manny, uh, and it mentions uh, that in the first half of 2021, we saw uh, criminal operate, uh, operations updating their tools and trying new techniques. Uh, can you touch on a couple of those techniques or tools that you uh, that you and the trend market team observed? Yeah, sure. Thanks, um, Kevin. Um, we did touch a little bit on it in the previous podcast, but one of the things that we are seeing um, threat actors doing is is um, focusing on using legitimate tools that are found in organizations like things like P- PS Exec, RDP, um, even tools that are being used by uh, pen testers um, like Cobalt Strike, um, and we're seeing a lot of a, a lot of legitimate tools being used in the um, by threat actors to um, breach an organization and to um, laterally move across the environment to command uh, command and control servers. And so those are some of the techniques we're using. We're also seeing a lot more uh, techniques being used to um, exploits being used within organizations, not only at an operating system level, but also at a, a device level like firewalls, um, uh, routers, uh, etc. Okay. And now, uh, Brenton, so some of the tools uh, that many mentioned, uh, to, how did these hackers go about uh, acquiring these tools? I think there's a couple of different ways that this actually happens. So, you know, the first being open source tools being released to the public. Uh, obviously, that's sitting on a GitHub page somewhere that's easily downloadable. Um, you know, then we've got the case where uh, security companies might get breached. Um, you know, I think there was Hacker One was the one company that was breached a couple of years ago where a couple of um, security tools were actually downloaded from their servers. Um, same thing with the FireEye breach, for example. Um, you know, they've got their own custom tools that they write and they publish um, or use internally for their customers. And, and obviously, that got published out to you know, the open internet after that breach. Um, and, you know, obviously, we also have guys reverse engineering tools. So you might have legitimate... Um, you know, security researchers actually purchasing tools, reverse engineering them, and then publishing them on these crack forums um, or, or, you know, hacker groups um, as well, you know, for, or for profit or for just, you know, street cred. You know, and we also we also have um, security researchers actually being targeted, um, you know, through other tools being packed. Um, you know, we'll talk about that a bit later. But, um, you know, in, in, in the case where some of these security tools might actually be um, utilized to get onto these security researchers' um, hosts, you know, their tools can be copied from there as well. And uh, what about what about some of the relevant social engineering techniques that you that you've uh, been observing? 
there's the traditional way of doing social engineering, which is always going to be relevant, you know, through the use of email campaigns, sending someone a URL to go and do data entry types of fish uh, or phishing attacks. We've got the attachment delivery phishing attacks, you know, where, where the guys might use um, you know, HTML embedded documents or um, there's a whole bunch of different things that we can, or HTA, sorry, not HA, um, you know, a whole bunch of different ways that we can actually uh, get targeted in that sense. Um, we've got our traditional stuff like, you know, um, SMSs uh, where users might be redirected to malicious pages to enter credentials there as well, um, or specifically targeting mobile devices. Um, and then we also have, you know, the typical drive-by download types of stuff. Um, that's always going to be relevant, you know, click-jacking types of attacks. Um, and then we also have uh, more relevant stuff today. Everybody's on social media. Um, so you might get some guy, you know, commenting in a chat room or on a um, post that's been made on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter somewhere, um, redirecting you to something malicious, right, um, which is probably more relevant today. Yeah, I mean, you'll you'll always have the, the the social engineering aspect with people, you know, talking to people, and um, you know, where an attacker might give you a phone call, um, they might be walking to the building saying there's someone that they're not, and it's always going to be relevant. There's a whole bunch of different things that we need to look at. And I suppose the the hacking groups they they're, they're pretty smart, uh, and they're going to take advantage of situations like when we start uh, getting into the next session, talking about the uh, the COVID uh, COVID nineteen threats or, or, or some of the scams that went on. The guys were quite smart, sending out sort of notification SMSs, you know, click here to, to register for your COVID vaccine. And uh, yeah, it was all just trying to trying to gain, gain knowledge and gain, gain credentials. Yeah, so I think we'll talk a lot about that uh, in, in the next session. Um, what about what about uh, cryptocurrency tar- uh, wallets? Um, are they a target? Benny, do you, have you seen anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. They, we are definitely seeing uh, an increase in cryptocurrency wallets being targeted, especially um, you know if you take a lot of people or use different exchanges to be able to buy cryptocurrency, they, the exchange offers them or creates a wallet for them. If that exchange is breached, um, that information is available to the breacher, to the threat actors, and they're able to get the, uh, access to that wallet. That's why there are a lot of vendors or companies out there that are starting to produce um, personal wallets where you can um, have phrases to your to your wallet um, to protect the wallet. Like um, one one that comes to mind is Atomic Wallet, for example. It's a a personal wallet that you can subscribe to and you use that wallet instead of using the exchange's wallet to be able to buy a cryptocurrency. What we're also seeing with cryptocurrency though is, is crypto mining where threat actors are, especially in the cloud, for example, because the cloud has got so many resources like the organization's disposal, um, threat actors are breaching the organization and then using their servers to mine um, cryptocurrency. So we're seeing a lot of that happening, yeah. I suppose, and also for, um, I, I would imagine that the the more common a, a cryptocurrency wallet becomes, the 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 bigger the target's going to be. So, and and vulnerabilities are going to be there. Absolutely. Uh, so, so they are going to be targeted, as well as obviously the service for crypto mining. Yeah. Yeah, I think another thing as well to note there is um, regarding crypto wallets, you can always get a, a physical wallet as well, mm-hmm. right? Install all of your cryptocurrency offline, um, yep. and that would probably be a better approach. Yeah. To securing that as yeah, well. It's a physical device that you can. Yeah. Use. Yeah, a, a while ago there was there was a bit of uh, cryptocurrency mining taking place within browsers. Mm-hmm. Have have we seen any of that of late? I think that was that's probably a bit, a bit of an old school risk. Yeah, so that it's it's probably still relevant. You know, that was a JavaScript type of redirect. Um, you know, mining from browsers using the CPUs, I believe it was. You know, we we'll still see stuff like that today. Um, back then, it was actually quite a quite an interesting thing because you could actually redirect, you know, entire. If, if you if you drop the Raspberry Pi in an organization, for example, you would yeah. probably be able to, um, you know, redirect a whole bunch of hosts 
um, you know, to your uh, or to mine for you. Yeah. And in that sense, so I'm sure it's still relevant. Um, you know, it's it's something that, that that was quite a cool attack at the time. Mm. No, hundred percent, yeah. All right, and like moving away from from software, what about uh, what about uh, the risks around five G? So I think with 5G, we're going to start seeing um, a bunch of research, you know, coming out. Um, it's a very new, it's, it's, a, it's a relatively new thing. Um, you know, I, I think the migration from uh, 4G to 5G will pose a risk with old infrastructure leading to new infrastructure. That's something that Manny and, um, and I was speaking about just now. Um, and then also, you know, obviously there's still infrastructure that needs to be used in the back end for this. Um, there might not necessarily be something uh, regarding, you know, radio types of uh, exploits at the moment, but we can still see, you know, if servers aren't getting patched, you'll be able to exploit or infiltrate those those servers, um, you know, at face value publicly exposed systems as well uh, that might be directly connected on the internet. Um, and, you know, we'll also have, you know, containers and things like that. Containers get misconfigured all the time. And, you know, that's that's going to pose a risk as well for that type of infrastructure uh, sitting behind 5G. Yeah. Yeah, Manny, you are talking about how, how you're starting to see a bit of a trend from moving OT to 5G, and that's obviously going to increase uh, customers' risks. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we, you know, we're seeing with, especially in the industrial sector, um, with organizations moving to 5G to be able to leverage the, the, the bandwidth and the speed. You know, we're seeing things like um, in the transition, and Brenton did mention it, in the transition from 4G to 5G networks, especially uh, what they call um, non-public networks or campus networks, uh, where the transition creates a, a bigger threat um, vector for, for threat actors. And, and they're able to exploit, like do... Um, Base stations, for example, that use um, 5G technology, um, things like um, they still need firmware updates. Uh, firmware updates can still have exploits within them. Um, SIM swapping is also something that creates a vulnerability within the environment. Um, cloning um, numbers um, where um, the threat actors can clone a number and, and use it on their SIM device and then redirect um, the traffic in, in that in that aspect. So there's all these sort of vulnerabilities that that come into play when when using 5G. Not to mention that um, a lot of OT organisations don't have the expertise when it comes to moving to traditional networks, which is now happening more and more because they're wanting to use artificial intelligence and machine learning. So they're integrating into normal traditional networks. They don't have the security or the expertise to be able to do that. Um, and so there's a bit of a learning curve for them, and that can also cause issues within within industrial organizations. Okay. What about SCADA networks or SCADA systems? SCADA is always going to be an interesting topic. We've seen massive breaches regarding this. Um, you know, just, just taking a, a 30,000-foot view on this, um, if we're looking at some of these types of systems potentially in South Africa, for example, how well are they physically protected, right? Um, you know, dropping USBs in front of the door is quite simple, and someone would probably pick it up and push it in or put it into one of those systems, right? Um, a typical, you know, Stuxnet type of issue. Um you know, even even from a reconnaissance perspective, looking at where you can get into some of these places, you can fly a drone over them, um, you know, and just kind of see where the doors are open. You know, it's it's silly things like this. Um, and I think the 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 risk around SCADA systems, you know, being publicly exposed is always going to be a thing as well. Uh, it does happen. People misconfigure these systems, and that you can find them on show every uh, you know all the time. And then I think as well, you know, the the risk that it poses or poses is if some of these systems get hacked, like power grids and things like that, you can you can take down entire economies, um, you know. And and a thing that happened in, in in the US a while ago, I think it was regarding their pipelines as well. Yeah. Um, you know, those kind of things could affect 
a, an entire country. Yeah. Right? That was, wasn't that to do with their water? Was it water or oil? I thought it was the oil, mm. but anyway. Yeah, yeah. nevertheless, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, those types of things are, they, they, it's, it's quite interesting. If you, it, and, and I mean, this might not be completely relevant today, but in a couple of years, people are probably going to start using Meta, this Metaverse from, from Facebook and, and the likes of all these guys, you know, building the stuff out, Web 3.0. Um, if, if an entire country went offline, you know, you can think people would go crazy. Mm. Um, you know, so that, that there's a whole bunch of things we need to look at with this as well. Yeah, and of course you want to sell your property. Yeah, want to sell your yeah. yeah yeah sell sell the sell the property <laughs> off of my meta in the, in the metaverse. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, funny you mentioned something earlier around uh, USB sticks, and there was this uh, this funny comment that if you ever wanted to get into a company. Uh, and you wanted people to insert the, those USB sticks into computers, you just write on their confidential salary information. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and guarantee absolutely. 9 out of 10 people be plugging yeah. that thing in. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so coming back to actual pure vulnerabilities, um, you know, what, what, uh, what are the top operating systems being targeted? Um, so in, in our report, we saw Windows 10, being one of the the top operating systems being targeted, along with Windows Seven, which is a lot of the, a legacy um, um, OSs that are still in use in some organisations, especially within the government, like Windows Seven, um, even XP. Uh, believe it or not, um, those are no longer supported by Microsoft, and obviously don't re- have any patches or any new patches. Um, but we're also seeing the likes of Linux um, and Mac um, starting to have vulnerabilities in that as well. So those are also starting to become more and more. Um, uh, exploitable with with regards to vulnerabilities. Yeah, I suppose also with uh, with some of the older uh, operating systems like Server 2012, uh, I yeah. think there's still a lot of companies out there using it, yeah. and they are actually vulnerable. So I'm sure they've been a target of attack. Yeah, uh, and like you mentioned earlier, macOS is, is yeah, it's growing uh, according to according to the extended report. I think it was number five or five yeah. or six uh, yeah. on the list of being of targeted uh, uh, operating systems. All right. Okay. Great. And um, what about you know during you know during COVID and everything else, we've obviously had to go with the whole remote workforce. Um, that means obviously VPNs have become indispensable. Uh, what are your what are your thoughts around VPNs and them being targeted, Brendan? VPNs being public facing in a lot of cases, you know the authentication, um, you know mechanism around it. Um, those need to get patched all the time, right? So if if they're publicly exposed, then we need to make sure that those gateways are actually patched all the time. Um, but the, a new concept, well, not really a new concept, but a, a topic we've been talking about is zero trust, really. Um, if a VPN does get, if, if a user credential gets uh, compromised, for example, and a user uh, a user's connection is getting used into the environment, typically VPNs don't have strict controls. Um, you know, on the other side, when you're looking at, you know, accessing shares or accessing specific types of information or, you know, even uh, systems and things like that, um, that's where that topic is going to become important of segmenting, um, you know, various different connections coming in, um, as well as just allowing access based on what they need to have access to. So, um, you know, you were talking about least privilege uh, in the in the previous episode. Um, you know, those kind of things need to apply, um, even though you're patching these vulnerabilities or these vulnerabilities in VPNs as well, because it's all going to be relevant at the end of the day. Um, and many, what about unknown vulnerabilities? Or rather, 
Not unknown vulnerabilities, but on, on vulnerabilities that haven't been necessarily been targeted, uh, you know, yeah. uh, but still posing a risk to, to users. Has Trend Micro made any recent discoveries? Yeah, so we've definitely seen um, vulnerabilities that have not necessarily been exploited as yet. So we, we're talking about things like Share It, the gaming platform that's on Google Play and, and I think has over 1 billion downloads. Um, and we, we in, in, our, in our research, we found that um, the URLs that are being downloaded are not only from Google Play, but also from other vendors. And they use the HTTP protocol, which can um, be exploited by the man in the middle. Um, they can be redirected um, by threat actors. And the, it's these sort of vulnerabilities that are not necessarily exploited as yet, but people aren't aware of and that can be exploited. So, yeah things like that are quite becoming more and more prevalent. Okay. And uh, what about some recent breaches? Uh, do you care to comment on any of them? So I think I think an interesting one that obviously stands out is Saturday. Um, the FBI, you know, confirmed that they were breached. Um, it's uh, it was due to one of their email systems being misconfigured, and um, you know they they what I, from what I've read they seem to think that it's you know some um, some kid that's probably too clever for for where he should be at. But um, he pulled a prank and he kind of sent out um, a whole bunch of advisories, fake advisories to um, you know people in the mailing lists, and um, that's quite an interesting one as well. Just shows you that misconfigurations are everywhere, um, including in some of the people you wouldn't you know some of the organisations you wouldn't actually expect it from. Um, another one that's that's also been identified, you know, quite recently was um, relating to the um, IDA Pro tool uh, being packed with Trojans. You know, it's something that's been in existence for quite some time, but it's ident- it's identified that um, you know Lazarus has been uh, it's it's a North Korean uh, threat actor, um, state sponsored threat actor. Um, they're basically trying to to pack these IDA Pro. Um, EXEs, um, just to kind of get onto the security researchers' machines as well. Obviously, you know, we mentioned this earlier, um, but security researchers do have, you know, their own custom tools um, as well as purchase tools um, that these guys could probably get their hands on for whatever tasks they need to get to. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, you know, some of the, 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 um, Recent breaches as well, um, pertaining to ransomware. Uh, we've seen a lot of an uh, increase of that in government. Um, and, and I think I mentioned in the previous podcast around the banking set- sector has also been targeted quite a lot. But we've also seen the cloud becoming, uh, uh you know, recent and we must probably speak the, a bit more about cloud security in, in the last podcast. But you know, we're seeing, um, one of the threat actors team. Um, TNT using um, images that has vulnerabilities in to exploit AWS credentials. We've seen that happen where over 4,000 AWS credentials were exfiltrated and, and, and used. Um, and so, yeah, these are some of the breaches that we are starting to see and becoming more and more prevalent within within the wild, yeah. All right. So, so in closing, what is, what is your... What is your recommendation to to protect yourselves or for for those uh, listeners out there to protect themselves against the vulnerabilities? I mean, obviously, there's the usual patch, patch, patch. What else? Uh, what is there anything else that they should be doing? Follow the framework. You know, you're not going to yeah. apply all the security practices if you're not following something that's standardized. Yeah. How security should work, right? Yeah. You're going to miss something at some point. So. Um, if you're doing patching on vulnerabilities, you need to know what you're going to patch. So discovery of those assets, discovery of the software in those machines, and then going through a framework. You know, it's something like CIS or NIST would probably be applicable to this, yeah. but, um, you know, just follow that and apply, uh, apply it. And then misconfigurations, you know, from like a, a prime example now with this FBI thing is configure your exchange servers, right? You know, yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, also misconfigurations and endpoints. You can patch an endpoint, but if you've got local admin credentials, you're still going to have a problem. Micro segmentation, you've got to do that too. 
um, a whole bunch of stuff you need to follow. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, I agree 100% with what Brendan said, is is, is um, have some sort of framework in place. Many organizations don't have any framework or don't follow any security framework, but also awareness. I mean, exploits can't be, vulnerabilities can't be exploited unless you're in the environment. So, um, you know, creating awareness amongst your users don't, users don't know what a phishing email is, know not when to click on something. If you're not sure, have someone you can report it to. Many organizations don't have a, a a reporting structure of if you if you think something suspicious, who do you even reach out to? Um, having that sort of awareness within your organization is quite key. Um, um, and then having solutions that offer some sort of virtual patching um, that can give you the time you need um, to be able to test um, the the patch in your staging or development environment before you deploy it to production. Uh, solutions that offer virtual patching give you that time you need to be able to test your patching correctly before deploying it to production. Um, so, yeah, that's more some of the things that you can do or use to to protect you and mitigate against exploits. Okay. And then and lastly, from my side, what about, what about breach detection? I mean, obviously, you know, you, you, we have been, you know, there's a server that was vulnerable and it was attacked. You know, how do we how do we go about making sure that we know we become aware of of that breach? Many organizations, many organizations. So we speak about cybersecurity, but we don't speak about cyber resiliency. Uh, many organizations don't have a plan after a breach. Um, you know, you speak about protecting and preventing, but what happens after the case? And I think um, having a strategy to recover and um, mitigate recover from a breach um, and understand what's happening within your environment, being able to monitor, be able to, to track, having um, solutions like XDR, for example, that can give you a holistic view of what's happening in your environment and be able to tra- track the threat actors within your environment after a breach um, and then be able to then, um, you know, isolate and and and, and detect and um, respond in that case is, is becoming very important um, for any organization. Yeah, I think it just talks back to creating the right policy for the appropriate type of breach. So yeah. what risk are you willing to accept and how much time are you willing to spend exactly. on an investigation? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, talking about that, what kind of telemetry are you collecting? If you've got the right telemetry, your response actions should be in place as well. And then you should be able to find these things. Yeah. Well, thanks. Um, thanks, Brenton. Thanks, Manny. Thanks for your time. Uh, it's been a great, uh, great discussion. Um, to our listeners out there, please don't forget to join our next episode where we'll be covering uh, threats related to, to COVID-19. We'll touch on some of the techniques used, some of the scams um, that, uh, that, that have obviously been posed during this period because I, uh, I don't think this is the end of, uh, of COVID. Again, if you haven't downloaded the, the threat report or at least the, uh, the, the half-year report, you can do so, do so by browsing to HubSpot dot obscuretech.net forward slash security trends that's hubspot dot obscuretech.net forward slash security trends <laughs> <laughs>